have a seat. All right, I would encourage you to open a Bible. If you prefer a Bible app, turn one on, but get to Matthew chapter 24 today. If you need a Bible, our ushers are in the back. We will grab one for you. If you just want to raise your hands, they can get one for you. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24 today. And this is our last message in our series that we started at the very beginning of the year entitled, Let Us Be in 23. And the, the whole premise of this message of this series has been, let us be different as a church, as a Christian, that we're just not kind of going through the motions. We're not going to be the same as we were in 2022, 2020, whatever. Let's be different this year. And, and so we have looked at different aspects of this series and today, I want to finish with the title, Let Us Be Ready. Does anybody other than me just look at the world and you ask yourself this question, what in the world is going on? I mean, I mean, I can't watch the news hardly because it just seems like, it literally seems like the world is like a freight train barreling out of control, ready to crash. I mean, from natural disasters to wickedness to the ugliness of people to, I mean, the tensions between countries. It just seems like something in the world is happening. It's almost like it seems like the world is on the brink of something. How can, how can it just be spinning out of control? How can it be like a balloon that just keeps blowing up, blowing up until it just pops? I believe the world is on a brink of something. And I believe that brink is actually found in Acts chapter 1. Now in this series over the past eight weeks, we have looked at Acts chapter 1. We've talked about it a few different, couple different times. And in Acts chapter 1, let me just re refresh your memory again. This is after Jesus has died on the cross, he resurrected from the grave, and he appeared to his disciples, to the apostles, for 40 days. At the end of those 40 days, him and the apostles are going up to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is getting ready to leave, to depart back to heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus is ascending into heaven, and it says this, some angels appear... And it says in verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Why are you looking into heaven? This Jesus that you saw go up, not maybe will come back. The Bible is very emphatic about two things. Number one, it showed and proved that Jesus came once. The king, that Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, becomes man, comes to earth, dwells on earth, dies on a cross, resurrects from the grave, and he ascends back to heaven. That was the promise that was fulfilled. But the Bible is emphatically also Spot on about another thing. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back a second time. Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah, he, he says it like this. He says that the Bible makes references to the second coming of Christ 
outnumber the references of Jesus's first coming by a factor of eight to one. There are 1,845 different biblical references to the second coming of Jesus in the Bible. 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament mention the second coming of Christ. Seven out of every 10 chapters of the New Testament talk about the second coming of Christ. One out of every 30 verses of the New Testament mention the second coming of Christ. Jesus is coming back. And I believe what we are seeing in our world is declaring loudly, Jesus is coming back. And that's why I believe we need to heed the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. He says, therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus makes the declaration time and time again, I'm coming back. And he just makes one simple suggestion, be ready because you don't know when the hour is going to happen. And so that is the title of my message today. The, the series has been Let Us Be in 23, and the title of this message today is Let Us Be Ready. Now, before I get into this message, let me just set this premise right here. I am not saying, let me repeat that. I am not saying, everybody say, Jim's not saying, that Jesus is coming back in 23. I am not saying that. So please, everybody online, do not be going, oh, well, our pastor said that Jesus is coming back in 23. No, I'm not. I'm just saying the world is declaring something's different. And as Jesus says, we must be ready. So I want to look at three things about being ready today. And here's the first one. I would encourage you to take some notes. The first thing about being ready is this. Let us be ready so you won't be left behind. Let us be ready so you won't be left behind. Now, I'm going to get to that, what, that, what I'm meaning by left behind there, but I need to, let's set this up. Let me set the stage so I can get to this left behind part. We got to begin with the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 with creation, all right? God creates everything from every animal to every plant to every tree to Adam and Eve to humanity. He creates everything in Genesis 1 and 2. But then in chapter 3 of Genesis, you go from creation to um, a problem. You, you go to um, Adam and Eve saying, you know what? Um, we don't want to do it God's way. Um, so um, we're going to do it our way. And they disobey God. So you have creation. And then when in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve decide to sin, um, you get the curse. God curses everything. He curses, he curses the earth. He curses the woman. He curses the man. Everything is cursed now. Creation is now accursed. And because of the curse, because of sin, because of the fall of humanity, because of everything that took place because of sin... Now you have chaos. Creation is cursed, which brings chaos. The chaos is sin. The chaos is what we see in the world, all right? From natural disasters 
to hatred, to murder. That's what you see in chapter 4 of Genesis. You have creation, Adam and Eve joining everything. You have the curse, and then you see the chaos immediately with Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. So you have murder, and then you have a cover-up. You have lying. You have deception immediately because of sin. And that chaos continued. And that chaos takes us up to... Um, the most pivotal point in history, the cross. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, at the end of chapter 3, when, when, they're, when everything is cursed, it says that God separated them, sent them out of the garden. That's the first eternal separation of God you see. God and humanity no longer together. Sin separates you and me from, from God. Roman, or the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says that our sins separate us from God. We're separated from God. There is no hope for humanity because of sin. The chaos of sin creates a division between us and God. You're separated from God for all of eternity because you are a sinner. We all are. The Bible says that every single one of us are sinners. We are all unrighteous. There's not one single person right before God. Which brings us to the cross. Because humanity can't fix ourselves. The book of Isaiah says that every one of our right, righteous acts, thinking we're a really good person, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sexy for my shirt, all this kind of stuff, is a filthy rag before God. My righteous acts, my good works, my good deeds, my religious stuff, all that stuff is garbage before God. That's why we have the cross. We go from creation to the curse to chaos to the cross. The cross was only because God looked on humanity. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the humanity of the world, that he gave us his only son to come and die on a cross to save you and I from our sin that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, the cross. And then after the cross, Jesus dies on the cross. He resurrects from the grave. He ascends back into heaven. And at that point is when he sends the Holy Spirit and you have the book of Acts happen. In the very beginning of the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit come upon these early believers, and that's when you now have the church. After the cross, you have the church. Okay? You see, because of, of the, the, the curse and the chaos, that spread throughout the, world, the, 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 the earth. But now you have the Spirit and the cross, and the church now spreads throughout the world. The church and the word of God. Now here's the thing. From Jesus until now, we are living in what is called the church age. The age of grace. The age of God's mercy. We're in a window of time right now. And the church has been going on for the past 2,000 years. Now here's the thing. This church age is coming to an end. And the church age is going to end with the second coming. Now, the second coming of Christ is going to happen in two different phases. Now, the rest of this message is there's a lot of debate. 
Okay, you may disagree with me. You may have your own ideas. I'm going to give you what I truly believe the Bible says about the second coming of Christ. I'm going to present to you what I feel the Bible is talking about. Okay, now this this whole idea about you know end time events and second coming and stuff. It's oh, we can agree to disagree. All right, just hear me out. So I'm going to try to show you biblically what I, what, what I feel the Bible tells us about end times and the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is going to be in two phases. One is a partial return. And then there will be a full return. I want to talk about this partial return. And then, I'm going to talk, then we'll, we'll get to how the full return will work. This partial return of Christ... And this is where we get to our left behind is what's called the rapture or the catching away of the church, the snatching away of the church. All right. Let me show you where, where, where all this is going to come from. Now look at Romans, Romans, the book of Matthew 24, starting with verse 36. Now I want to break apart this idea of this thing called a rapture and people being left behind. In verse 36, it says, Jesus is talking here, and he's talking to his disciples, the apostles. He says, concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. Meaning, you don't know what day or what hour I will come on. Just bank that. You, we, we don't know. We don't know the year, anything like that. He says, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. When he says the Son, I believe when Jesus was in his humanity... He did not know the day or the hour, but as God, the son, he would know. Okay. Or like the second person of the Godhead. But in verse 37, here's where it goes. He goes, as in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the son of man. The days of Noah, you got to go back to the Genesis when the flood happened. Okay. Now, a lot of people, when they hear that, when they say, well, in the days of Noah, that's the way the world will be. What they mean by is, well, if you go back to the days of Noah, it says that the man's that the, the, the heart of man was wicked above all things, and that's why God destroyed the earth with a flood. Men were just wicked. Yes, they were. But here's the thing, that's not what this is talking about. Because here's the thing: after the flood, wickedness, it took about 10 minutes for wickedness to join back into the world again. All right? Wickedness has been a problem on the earth the entire time. Chaos. Sin, curse, still there. What this is talking about is not that, well, when things are really wicked, Jesus is going to come back. Well, Jesus should have come back like a long, long time ago then. That's not what this is saying. Continue on in the verse. Here's what it's saying. In verse 38, he says, For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all the way. So it will be with the, son, the coming of the Son of Man. What this means is that in the day of Noah, Noah was building a boat. And so you got to kind of picture this. Here's Noah building a boat. And people would have been coming up to Noah going, Hey, Noah, what you building there, bud? He'd be like, a big boat. And they'd be like, why are you building a boat? Because God's going to make it rain. In the days of Noah, it had not rained. And he's like, it's going to rain a lot. And God's going to flood the earth. Well, here's the people's response in the day of Noah. Dude, you've lost it, man. 
you know what? I'm going to go to my, my, my daughter's getting married, man. We're going to go enjoy a marriage. We're going to go out to eat tonight. We're going to watch something on the tube tonight. We're just going to do life. And they rejected Noah. Noah built the ark and he preached the word. And they rejected him. They were like, this idea of God flooding the earth, nonsense. Because it was years, like a hundred years, nothing happened. And the people kept saying, nonsense, 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 until the rain started coming. The earth opened up. Noah goes into the boat. The door shuts. The people are swept away. They were caught off guard. This is what this is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, and when I'm about to come, people are going to be eating and rejoicing and live, doing life and ignoring the preaching of the word. They're going to ignore and say, oh, the second coming of Christ is nonsense. And they will just be doing life, doing their own thing until it's too late. Because when it's too late, here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 40. He says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the millstone. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He says, one's going to be taken and one's going to be left. Well, what does that mean that one's going to be taken, one's going to be left? This is the partial return of Christ called the rapture. Okay, now we get a better picture of this. Keep your finger here in Matthew, but turn with me to book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's get an idea of this partial return, this thing called the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 gives us the answer to all of this. Chapter 4, starting with verse 13. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. Now, what is this saying? First, let's get an understanding about death and everything first, all right? Right now, when we die, your body goes into the grave, all right? Now, you've got to understand your body is not who you are. You have a spirit, okay? The spirit is who you are. That is your real essence. The body is just a housing, a housing unit for your spirit. The spirit dwells in the body. So when the, the body dies, the spirit departs. The spirit is who you are and the spirit remains alive. Now your spirit is going to go to one of two places. And this is what the Bible declares. This is not mine. 
This is what the Bible says. That when your body dies late in the grave, your spirit is going to go to one of two places. It will go into the presence of God in heaven or it will be eternally separated from God in hell. That is it. There is no more middle ground. Purgatory is not a biblical concept. There is no purgatory. It is either, and, and I wish I had time, I wish I had two hours today, but I don't. You either go to, to God's presence in heaven or you're separated from the presence of God in hell. And, then, and this is where you, you, you are held until this time. So what's going on is time's going through. People are dying all the time. Going to heaven, going to hell, going to heaven, going to hell. At the second coming of Christ, when Jesus returns the partial return at the rapture, when it says that the, the saints are caught up, those words caught up actually come from a Greek word called harpazo. And that Greek word harpazo means to catch away or to snatch. It means to quickly be called up. We get the word rapture from the Latin Vulgate. The Latin Vulgate is the Latin translation of the Greek New Testament. And in Latin, they take the Greek word harpazo, which means to be caught up, and they translate it into the Latin rapture. That's how we get the word rapture for us today. So rapture, caught up, snatched away, all means the same. So, so you have people in heaven, you have people in hell. At the time of Jesus' second return, the rapture, Jesus, and like it says, let me just repeat it. Let, let's look at the verse again. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So those who have died in Christ as a believer are in heaven. Jesus and every believer are coming down. But why? Why are the believers coming down? Because as it says, that those who have fallen asleep, their bodies, Jesus is going to say, come up here. And in a twinkling of an eye, as, I, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, in a twinkling of an eye, changed. The bodies of believers are going to be caught up in the air. And your body and your spirit are coming together again. And that's your glorified body. And at that moment, so the dead in Christ, psh, gone. And then those who are left alive will be caught up in the air with them. Now, why are the dead raised first? Because they got six feet to go. <laughs> they got that, that, get that, got that ground. Got so the dead are raised the bodies and their spirits are connected, rejoined, back with Jesus. Then we who are still alive are caught up because you got your spirit with you still already. And in a twinkling of an eye, your body becomes supernatural, basically. It, 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 it's glorified. And all the believers, dead, alive, with Jesus, back to heaven. But the people who are still in hell remain. Their bodies remain in the grave. The people in hell still remain. And they will stay there until the completion of eternity or the completion of everything that's got to take place. And in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about the great white throne judgment. These people will be raised to life again. Their bodies and their spirits will rejoin once again 
and they will stand at the great white throne judgment and be judged for not being a believer in Christ. There's so much more I could preach on that. But this is what this is talking about. A partial return of Jesus. All right? And so as you go back to Matthew, Jesus is saying, you've got to be ready for this event. This is the only prophetic event left on the prophetic calendar. There's nothing else that needs to be fulfilled in the Old Testament or New Testament. Nothing. There have been so many prophecies fulfilled. The only prophecy that has not been fulfilled is this rapture. And it's coming. And if you don't know Christ as Savior, you're not ready. Because when you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, those who were in Christ are caught up. <clears throat> to be in Christ means that you have confessed Christ as your Savior. You have placed your faith in Him. To be in Christ means that you've come to the place where you have admitted, I'm a sinner. And you, you, you just realize, I can't save myself. And you were like, I'm desperate. And you realize that Jesus is the reason because he died on a cross for the sin of humanity. And when you receive him as your savior, that makes you in him. If you don't know Christ as your savior, you are still out of him. And if you do not know him, you will be left behind. And being left behind is the tragedy. Because go back, I may have said go back to, to go back to stay in Thessalonians. I, I, gotta, I gotta show you this also. Here's the purpose of the rapture, okay? Because if you're left behind, something's gonna take place on earth. Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians tells us this. And this is the purpose of the rapture. It says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Do you notice kind of a theme here? Throughout scripture, it keeps saying, you're not going to know when this happens. You're not going to know. And that's why you've got to be ready. It's going to come like a thief. He says, while people are saying there is peace and security, just like Jesus says in the days of Noah, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. There are going to be people who will be left behind and they will not escape the coming night. The coming night, the sudden destruction is a seven year period called the tribulation. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. If you were to read all of Matthew 24, you're going to hear him reference the great tribulation. The tribulation that, that the earth has never seen before. The tribulation period is what the book of Revelation talks about. That for seven years, God is going to bring 21 judgments on this earth. And, and they intensify in, in the destruction that comes. People who are going to be left behind... After, when the rapture takes place is going to have to endure this tribulation and the Bible and the book of Revelation makes it very clear that most of humanity most of the the world's population will die during the tribulation because there's going to be so much disaster so much destruction that the that what God is going to do to this earth is going to be tragic that's why you've got to be ready for the rapture you see this is the purpose of the rapture Look at verse 4. 
It says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Now look at verse, what he's talking about there, he's just contrasting people who are believers, people who are not. He goes, if you're a believer in Christ, you, you are part of the day. You're part of the light of Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you're still in darkness. You don't have Christ as your savior. Now, if you look at verse eight, or I'm, I'm sorry, verse, uh, yeah, verse eight. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of the hope of salvation. Now, verse nine is the key of the reason for the tribulate or for the rap, for the rapture. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The tribulation is truly going to be the wrath of God poured out on this earth. The tribulation is to take the church out, just like the ark was to take Noah and his family out. If you are in Christ, you will be out of the tribulation. If you are out of Christ, you will be in the tribulation. It will be a tragic time for seven years. But if you know Christ, you can escape that coming night. And that's why you have to be ready. So you won't be left behind. Now, here's the thing. When people, again, perhaps you have heard a message on this before. Maybe you've been to church. Maybe you've heard people say, hey, Jesus is coming back. I mean, the church sounds like, like Chicken Little. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming. And you're like, oh my gosh, shut up already. I know you've been saying for hundreds of years, Jesus is coming back. Well, guess what? He has not come back. Well, God in his um, finite mind and his unparalleled wisdom gives us some scriptures for people like this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And then he says this, but do not overlook this one fact. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is but a day. The Lord is not slow and to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You see, you and I look at it and go, man, these words were written 2,000 years ago. And we see a timeline thinking 2,000 years ago. There is no time with God. So he says, for God, a day is like a thousand years. This is like a blip on the radar. So for God, it, 2,000 years has not passed. With God, it's like it's still just here. So when Jesus finally steps through time, it's as if not even a day has passed. And we got to remember that. I taught this last week. God's ways are not ours. His thoughts are not ours. His ways are so higher than ours. That's why we can't view time in our way. So yeah, it's been 2,000 years, but I'm telling you, it's coming. And we need to understand that and be ready. So let us be ready so we won't be left behind. Here's the second thing, and I believe these will help us know and see that perhaps we're getting closer. 
Here's the second thing. Let us be ready because of the signs. Now we'll go back to Matthew chapter 24. Let us be ready because of the signs. So if you look at chapter 24, verse 3, he says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? These guys have heard Jesus say, Hey guys, I'm going to be coming back. And there's going to be an end to all things. And now they're really kind of, they're, they're like, when's this going to happen? Because they're like, is this going to happen while we're alive? Like the end of all things, that, that, that sounds kind of tragic. And so they're like, can you tell us? What, what will be some signs that we're getting close to that? Look at verse 4. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And these are all but the beginning of birth pains. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation, they will put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now, as I read through that, you're probably looking at those signs going, but Jim, man, those have been going on for years. Wars have been going on for centuries and centuries. How in the world can these things be a sign? Because if these things have been going on ever since Jesus' time, how can we say that it is near? I believe the key verse is verse 8. For all of these are the beginning of birth pains. Ladies, let me ask you, how many uh, ladies in here have been pregnant? Raise your hand. Ladies, let me ask you, is there a difference between the nine months of pregnancy and the few hours of labor pains? Yes or no? Yes, yes they are, aren't they? When you had that first labor pain, were you like, man, we got four more months to go? Or were you like, woo, it's coming. Man, let's get to the hospital. When you were at three months pregnant, you weren't like, baby's coming tomorrow. You've been like, no, no. At six months pregnant, you weren't like, nope, baby's coming. I think it is. No, no, no. Even at eight and a half months, you're like, it's coming, but I just don't know when. Maybe here. That may be a little big. <laughs> But something happens when the water breaks and that first birth pain hits. Everything changes. Things intensify. Pain gets worse. Things speed up. And all of a sudden, you know that you know that you know the signs are happening. The baby's on its way. Now, that doesn't mean when you have the first birth pain, the baby's coming at that, that moment. It could still be a few hours. It could be 10 hours. But you know it is not several months. You're in, a close, you're in a shorter window. When Jesus says you start to see these things like birth pains, understand you're in a different season. Because these things all of a sudden will start to intensify. They will speed up. I believe that over the past 100 to 150 years, we have th seen things shift in our world. 
Let me just start with where he talks about being led astray and deception. Because when he talks about let no one, he says, see to it that no one leads you astray. He's talking about deception. He's talking about people falling away. Can I tell you uh, things like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Christian science, Scientology, all began in the 1800s. Mormonism was one of the fastest growing religions today. We, over the past, I don't know, 15, maybe 20 years, um, the teaching of universalism has just sprung like a weed. And universalism is, and I'm telling you, there's been some big name pastors who are now teaching this. And universalism says, you know what? You don't have to know Christ as your savior because of love, God will save everybody. Nobody goes to hell. Everybody goes to heaven. It's universalism. Everyone will be saved. Everyone will be in heaven. And I'm telling you, that is growing in the church. It's being taught all the time today. There is, a, there is a generation of young people right now, I am telling you, are departing from the church. They are they, they are, they've come up with this term, deconstruction of faith. And the, I'm telling you, 10 years ago, I had never, ever heard of deconstruction of faith. Five years ago, I had never heard of deconstruction of faith. But it is widespread on social media right now. Kids between 18 to 25 to 30 are realizing, I want nothing to do with the church. I want nothing to do with God. And what they're doing is like, we need to deconstruct this thing and rebuild it into what we think it should be. The deconstruction of faith. The Bible talks about in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy that then the end times, there will be a falling away from the church. Can I tell you people like, no, in the end times, there's going to be a revival. I'm not saying there won't be pockets. In fact, Jeff and Andrea Kessinger showed me that at their son's, um, his son's alma mater, man, they got some revival breaking out. There will be pockets, but I'm telling you, it's the reverse. There will be more people falling away from the church than coming to the church. All right? I'm telling you, they're, they're in the... Six, 15, 1500s and 1600s over in Europe. Um, how many of you have ever been, if you've ever been to France, you've been to Europe, you've been to Germany, England, there are huge cathedrals, all right? And these cathedrals could fit usually 1,000 to 2,000 people. And they were built in the 1500s, 1600s because people were flooding in them. But something happened in around 1900. They went empty. Europe's Christianity did this, crashed into the ocean. Beautiful churches. That's all they are now. They're monuments. They're museums for travelers to go look at and be wowed by the architecture because nobody worships in them anymore. But in the past 100 to 150 years, the European church is gone, departing. You see, we are living in a time of great deception and departure. What about war? Okay, he says, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Well, war was going on before Jesus. War was going on when Jesus was alive. The Roman Empire enjoyed war. All right. So it's not war itself, but the intensifying of war. He's talking about there will be something about war that will be completely different than any time in history. What happened in 1914 for the first time in history? World War I. But here's the thing. After World War I, do you realize they did not call it World War I? Do you know what they did call it? The Great War. Because it was the Great War because it was a war unprecedented. It was a war like history had never seen before. But do you know when they called it World War I? After World War II. 
And World War II happened 30 years after World War I. How in the world do you have World War I and everybody's like, this has never happened in history, and then it repeats itself in 30 years? Birth pains. <coughs> Two wars that have never, ever happened in history take place in 30 years. He talks about earthquakes and famine. Is the idea there is actually natural disasters. Okay? According to life science, seven of the ten worst natural disasters in history, seven of ten, happened between 1830 and now. How's that happen? According to the U.S. Geological Survey, the 20 largest earthquakes, 8.5 and above, have taken place in the past 115 years. According to Newsweek and World Atlas, of the 10 worst earthquakes in history, half of them have happened in the past 100 years. Where the other half actually was just like throughout 2,000 years. You look at the news and you see the, 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 the natural disasters, and it's just not that they're natural. They are like unprecedented natural disasters. You hear the news people go, we're going to have a storm of a generation. We're having a storm that has never happened in a generation. We're having a storm that's never happened in history. How can that be? Birth pains. What about lawlessness? There in verse 12, he says, uh, th that because of lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Again, lawlessness has always been around, but he says it's going to increase. It's going to be like, like unprecedented. The word lawlessness actually means to be without law, a disregard for law, or an actual breach of law. It, it, in, the, in the first and foremost, it's actually the rejection of God's standards and his commands. What this means is that people are going to look at God's word and go, yeah, we, we think that God is, has told us some things, but we don't care and we don't want it. And here's the key. We want to do it our way. So what we see today, and I'm telling you, we are seeing things today where 40 years ago, not even on, a, not even on the radar. Today we have people saying, I will do what I want. I will act how I want. I will say what I want. I will be what I want. I will identify what I want. Loved ones, birth pains, lawlessness. I mean, what? think about what happened to the U.S. Capitol in 200 and some years of our country. Never happened before. And that's not just in our country. That's spreading around the world. Lawlessness. People are saying, I don't, because here's the thing. When we reject the laws of God, it overflows into the laws and the regulations of society. Listen to this verse from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And as I read this, just look at all of these and ask yourself, are these not multiplying and intensifying even more in our day-to-day Paul writes and he says, but understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self. I mean, we could just stop right there. What do we do with our phones? Selfie. 
People post everything about, oh, look at my life. Look at what I'm doing. Look what I'm eating. Look where I'm at. Look where I'm going. Look at my family. It's all about self. So they will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Tell me if those things are not just permeating the world today. They are growing by leaps and bounds. Why? Birth pains. And let me give you one more that's not listed here. And it's this one. It's the increase of, the increase of knowledge. In the book of Daniel, chapter 12, Daniel, written way before Jesus, has a vision about the end times. All right? And, and, and God is speaking to Daniel about end times. And God tells Daniel this, and he writes this down. He says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, he says, But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. For many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. People are going to go to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now that idea, some people think the idea of going to and fro is, means travel. I don't think it's travel. I think it's the speed at which people are going to be moving at and running at after knowledge. It's going to be the speed and the increase of, of knowledge and technology and how fast it is growing. I want you to think about this. just for Let's just th- pause and think about this for a moment. For thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, people traveled the same way. They either walked, boat, powered by wind, or oar, or animal. That was it. The only form of light at night for thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands of years was what? fire or the moon people built buildings and everything that was built was pretty much built with the same kind of materials stone granite wood or mud bricks for thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years okay so however many thousands of years you want to go back even let's just let's just buy into the let's just say that the the scientists are right in millions of years and, and the first people, you know, 150,000 years ago. So for 150,000 years, up until the early 1800s, people had to use fire for light. People built their buildings the same way. People traveled the exact same way for thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands of years until the early 1800s. What happened in the early 1800s? Anybody? Industrial Revolution. And from the early 1800s until today, in that short a span, technology has taken off. Now, here's my question. 
the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Romans, the Mayans, brilliant people. Because Paul and I have been to the Mayan ruins, and if you have ever sat and stood in these Mayan ruins, you're like, how did they build these things? And even go back thousands of more years to the Egyptians. I love watching PBS, and they're talking about how these Egyptians, the tombs they built underground, and how did they do these things? How did the Romans build what they did? They didn't have backhoes. They didn't have nail guns. They were like, ding, 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 hammer and chisel. All right. They were like rolling. How did they do? I mean, brilliant. I mean, Socrates and Aristotle and Archimedes and, you know, brilliant minds. In the past, I mean, even today, Archimedes, if you're a farmer and you use a, uh, what's it called, an auger, was invented back in Archimedes' day, like 2,000 years ago. He figured it out. Well, here's my question. These amazing cultures and brilliant minds, why did it take until 1903 to come up with the first plane? Why in the world, Archimedes, when he figured out the buoyancy theory and the, the, the auger theory and all that, why did he go, you know what, I got an idea about flying. Because how many of you know, people have tried to figure out flying for thousands of years. They watch the birds and they're like, that's got it, that, that, we should be able to do that, only to not be able to come up with it. And then Orville and Wilbur Bright, right, one day, poof, brain fart, we got to figure it out. Are you telling me that the Romans could not figure out? You know what? I'm really tired of building out of stone. I'm pretty sure we could figure out steel somehow. Do you realize that for thousands upon thousands of years, steel and iron was only used for like weapons, tools, pots and pans? Nobody in all of these thousands of years, but in the 1800s, people were like, wait a minute. Can't we take this stuff, melt it down, reshape it, and build even bigger buildings with it? Why was the car not invented in the Egyptian time, but in the late, 19, or the, the late 1800s? Why did the Industrial Revolution take place in the early 1800s till today, and all the stuff that we have today, why couldn't it have been figured out during the Roman Empire. Do you realize that if we could take, I mean, if you just think of the advancements of, of medical, travel, military, everything, the stuff that we have today, if you, if we could take a squadron, just one, air, just one fleet, aircraft carrier, battleship, destroyer, zip it back to the Roman Empire time, if we could take one battalion of Marines, one battalion of, of, of army um, soldiers, and take tanks and everything, how fast do you think the Roman army would be able to last in a war? Two days? The Roman army was one of the strongest, the most mighty military ever in history. But yet if they were able to combat, go up against what we have today, they'd be annihilated overnight. How is it that what we see in our world today 
came about like that. And think about this. If you were able to talk to Wilbur and Orville Wright and go, hey guys, um, it's 1903, you just built your first airplane. Can I tell you in about 55 years, we're gonna be flying to outer space. Think about that for a moment, folks. For thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands of years, we can't come up with an airplane. And then in, eight, in 1903, they discovered the airplane. And by the 1960s, we're in outer space. How does that happen? How do we go from either walking or rowing a boat or walk, riding on a camel or a donkey to being able to drive a car at 400 miles an hour? How does that happen? How do we go from hardly knowing what medicine is to being able to transplant organs in people? Birth pains. Technology, we hear this, that technology changes like, what is it now, every six minutes? Like your computer, you buy it today. It's, oh, it's no good tomorrow. It just changes that fast. Here's my thinking is, the reason why none of this stuff, what we have today, was invented during the Roman Empire, because God hid it from people. Just as he told Daniel, Daniel, take the scroll and roll it up, seal it, until the time of the end. Because at the time of the end, people are going to go to and fro, and knowledge will increase. You can't tell me that knowledge has not increased exponentially in the past almost 200 years compared to rest of eternity or the rest of, of, of history. How in the world have we seen all of this advancement? How in the world are we at where we are at in only 200 years compared to thousands upon thousands and thousands of years? Birth pains. I truly believe that God has hidden all of this stuff from ages past and has revealed it at the right time. And the right time is this, that Jesus is coming back. And we are seeing signs just unfolding in front of us every single day. All you and I have to do is just watch the news and Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. Jesus is coming back, ladies and gentlemen. He's coming back and the question is, are you ready? And here's how you and I get ready. The last point, and just going to finish up with these two things real quick. Let us be ready by two things. Coming to know Christ as Savior. Continuing to grow in Christ as Savior. You need to be ready by first coming to know Christ as your Savior. As I have said, because of the chaos, the sin... We are all separated from God. You are separated from God because of your sin. God is not looking upon you going, well, I think there's something good in them. There's nothing. To the bottom, to the, to the I mean, it doesn't say, mean that we don't do good things. We can't do good things. But um, our sin nature, to the core of our being, we're sinners. And because I am a sinner, my, um, you gotta love it. You gotta love that. <laughs> got to love the adorableness of it. But because I am a sinner, I am not connected to God. 
I am separated from God. The only thing that gets me close to God again, the only thing that, that, that justifies me before God, the only thing that makes me right with God is Jesus Christ on the cross. And the only thing that I can do is come to the place where I confess I can't fix myself. I can't cleanse myself. I can't do anything to make myself right before God. Jesus, I need you as my Savior. And then when I accept him as my Savior, I am made right with God. I'd say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Savior. And in that moment is when I'm made right with God. And I'm ready. But then when I know Jesus as Savior, guess what I need to do? I need to continue it. In Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the good servant doing the things that a servant does. As a believer in Christ, if you are a Christian, don't, don't be like, well, you know what, Jesus, he's not coming back for a long time, so I'm just going to go through the motions and it'll be okay. Can't do that. Keep doing the things. Keep worshiping. Keep working for Christ. Keep serving him. Keep giving to him. Keep witnessing for him. Keep living for him. Perfectly? No. Progressively? Every single day. It is striving to be like Christ. It is striving to be more like him. It is saying, it, it, it is, I want to be a Christian. That has been this whole series. Let us be different. Let us be changed. Let us be more like Christ. Loved ones, are you ready? I hope this today's message has stirred your heart. I hope, I hope the signs have shown you we're getting close. It's getting close where Jesus is going to be given the command by God the Father, go get my church. And Jesus is going to step into time again, and he will say, come up here. And anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, dead or alive, is going to be caught up in the air with him and back to heaven. And if you're not ready, you're going to be left behind and you will have to endure the tribulation, the destruction that 1 Thessalonians talks about. My prayer is, is that you are not that person and you are ready. Why don't we all stand and close in a word of prayer? So Father, I just thank you for the truth of your word and Jesus, we believe you're coming soon. And I just want to pray, Father, that every single person in here, that, Lord, they know their own heart. They know where they are with you. And, Lord, if there would be anyone here today who has never come to know Christ as Savior, that, Lord, that they would make that decision today to say, Jesus, come into my life. And with your head bowed, I just, I just feel, feel compelled. I just got to ask you, is Jesus your Savior today? Have you ever come to the place personally, not you and your wife, not you and your husband, not you and your child, you? Have you made a public declaration? Have you said, I'm a sinner, Jesus, forgive me, be my Savior? Today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I would love to pray with you and give you an opportunity. But here's what I would just need you to do. Would you just raise your hand and say, Jim, that's me. I don't know Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? Because I know God wants you with him. 
He doesn't want you to perish. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior, just raise your hand. And I would love to pray with you. 